Welcome to the Victory Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. At Victory, we value love in action through growing, connecting, serving, and giving. We work to show God's love and share His truth as we love and serve the Lord Jesus Christ together. Here's this week's sermon by Pastor Terry Green. We've been singing about and we're going to be looking at our identity in Christ. Now some girls find their identity in having a boyfriend. And if you break up, they she has to get a new boyfriend as soon as possible. <laughs> and then some women, as soon as they're divorced, they're looking for a new husband. They uh, actually they have divorce celebration parties, and they invite single others to join in and try and find a new prospect. It's kind of like praying mantis, not quite. <laughs> Some boys find their identity in sports or doing daring things. And some men find their identity in their job. And if they get laid off, they, they're rootless. And sometimes men who retire quite often within two years of retirement, they die because their identity was in their job. But for believers, those who have trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, those who have asked Jesus to forgive their sins and save their soul, and he does. To all who call upon him, he does. But for those of us who know Christ as Lord and Savior, then we should find our identity not in things here on earth, but in the Lord God of heaven and earth. Our identity should be in Christ. But the world seeks to press you and I into its mold. The world wants us to focus on the things of the world. And uh, by news feeds and advertising, we are bombarded with stuff that wants us to focus on the right here and right now. But Paul wants us to remember who we were, who we are, and who we will be because of Christ. I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter 2, and as we're reading this, I want you to think about who you were, who you are, and who you will be because of Jesus Christ. From Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, and you he made alive who were, this is who you were, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom we, I'm sorry, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, just as others who we were. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together in Christ. By grace you have been saved, who we are. And has raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show his exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus, who we will be. Verse 8. For by grace you have been saved, through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. See, if you could get saved on your own merit, you could say, 
I made it. Look at me. I'm going to heaven. I'm one of God's chosen. But you can't. It's by grace. It's a gift. You receive a gift. And what a blessing to receive that gift. And we receive that gift because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Look at verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So I want you to think about where you were on your own before you trusted Christ, on your own. It says certain things here. In verse 1, it says you were spiritually dead. Now, when you're spiritually dead, you don't feel dead. You don't look dead compared to what dead looks like uh, on earth. But you're spiritually dead. When God looks down from heaven, God sees people that are fully alive, those who have trusted Jesus Christ, and those who are only physically alive, those who have not trusted Christ. They don't have spiritual life. But those who have received Christ have spiritual life. So God sees from his perspective a specific division those who have full life and those who do not. And you were spiritually dead before Christ. On your own, verse 2 says you were previously following the path of Satan. You were doing things that made Satan happy. You were doing things that, that God didn't like, didn't approve. Uh, he also says in verse 2 that you were constantly disobedient. The children of disobedience. That's, that was what characterized your life. Now, some of you were problem children, and your parents would testify, oh, yeah, they lived out that disobedient thing big time. But you see, Christ changes who we were, and he makes us into who we are in him. We become a new person. But before Christ, we were spiritually dead, following the path of Satan. We were constantly disobedient. And then in verse 3, he adds that we had many inappropriate desires. Uh, the Bible calls it the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. We had many inappropriate desires, and we were facing the wrath of God. Now, the world doesn't like to hear about the wrath of God. They love the baby in the manger. Cute little baby, who couldn't love that? But they don't want to hear about the wrath of God and the judgment of God. And yet Jude wrote a book, and he talked about the ungodly and the problems of the ungodly a lot in just a few short verses in the book of Jude. We have earned the righteous judgment of God by being a sinner. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. And the wages of sin is death, Romans 6.23. To face the wrath of God, separation from God, the Bible describes it as hell, a place of burning and torment, and then the lake of fire. That's how it's described in the scripture, and that's what we deserve for our sinfulness because we are not just sinners by nature. We are sinners by choice. Now we got some dads here with their sons here. And those dads did not have to teach their sons to misbehave. Their sons came by it naturally. 
from their mother. They came by it naturally because they had a sin nature that came from Adam. And they were born with that sin nature. You don't have to teach kids to be selfish. You have to teach them to share. You don't have to teach them to be mean. You have to teach them to be kind. And so we have the opportunity in Christ to change. But before that, we're sinners and we're facing the wrath of God because we're sinners by nature and we're sinners by choice. Most people in the world, given the choice between doing the hard thing to do the right thing or doing the easy thing, most people in the world choose the easy thing, even if it's the wrong thing. So, uh, verse 4 begins with the marvelous phrase, but God. See, at the end of verse 3, you're doomed. It's toast. There's, you got nothing. But God! God intervened. God directly in, got involved. And so, we have our identity in Christ because of what God did. God gave us new life in Christ. So I want you to think about things that Paul says here that we have because we are in Christ. First of all, in Christ, I am forgiven. In Christ, I am forgiven. Look at verse 4. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses and sins, made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved. I am forgiven. You deserve the punishment for your sins. You deserve death. But God is rich in mercy. We were just singing about it. His mercy is more. It's impossible for you to sin too much for God's mercy. He has more than enough mercy to cover all the sins of all the people in all the world. We don't even have a clue how many times we have sinned. Because there's times we sin and we're not aware of it because God is absolute holiness and we're not. And we struggle. And, and so sometimes we're not even aware we've sinned. How many of you have ever had somebody come up to you and say, listen, uh, what you did really, what you said really bothered me and offended me. About, anybody ever experienced that? Just me, huh? Oh. <laughs> but when, when sometimes you don't even realize you've upset somebody because you're oblivious to it. Or you said what you thought was just a joke and they took it seriously. And so God is holy and we cannot measure up to his holiness. But in his mercy, God gives us the holiness of Christ. The righteousness of Christ is credited to our account. Psalm 103 verse 17, the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. Yeah. How long is everlasting to everlasting? We can't define it better than everlasting. Yeah. It does not stop. Psalm 86, 13 and 15 say, Great is your mercy toward me, and you have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol, the place of the departed dead, Hades, hell. But you, O Lord, are a God full of compassion, gracious, long-suffering, and abundant in mercy and truth. Isn't that great? Abundant in mercy. Overflowing in mercy. And hey, 
we needed it because we were sinners by nature and we were sinners by choice and we desperately needed his mercy. Isaiah 1.18 says, Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. They are, they are, though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. You know, in the old days, it was a lot harder to get blood out of things. Sometimes when it got stained with blood, that rag would mm. always have blood. Now we got wonderful things like peroxide and squirt it and the blood comes out. But, uh, but now he's saying it'll be stained like blood. Your sins making a permanent mark, but God will wash away the permanent mark of sin in your life through Christ. Psalm 86.5, for you, O Lord, are good and ready to forgive and abundant in mercy to all those who call upon you. God has abundant mercy to everyone who calls out to him for salvation. So medical science says, well, what you need is proper medication. We are the most medicated culture in the history of the world. And yet we have more problems than most cultures in the history of the world. Medication doesn't solve it. Political science says what you need is better education and more government regulations. Aren't you glad the government's here to save us? And the scriptures teach that what we need is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And he will forgive our sins. I love that song. Without him, I could do nothing. Without him, I'd surely fail. Without him, I would be drifting like a ship without a sail. Without him, I would be dying. Without him, I'd be enslaved. Without him, life would be worthless. But with Jesus, thank God, I'm saved. In Christ, I am forgiven. Verse 4 also says, in Christ, I am loved. Isn't it great to be loved? Some of you have had the opportunity of falling in love and enjoying a long time of a loving relationship. And some of you have had wonderful parents that you have loved and they have loved you. And not everybody gets to experience those things. But God the Son loved you enough to endure the wrath that you deserve to pay the penalty for your sin. That's love. I never, ever understood the concept of God loving enough to die in our place till I fell in love. And then when I had kids, I thought, how easily would I give my life for my wife and kids? My brothers and sisters, not so much. <laughs> my wife and kids, easy, easy. And God loved us more than that. He loves without limitation, without measure, without holding back. He's just full throttle love. Jeremiah 31.3, the Lord has appeared of old to me saying, yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Some people stand in church and they take a vow and they say, I will or I do. And, and they pledge their life and they, they're going to love forever and they don't. 
But when God said, I'm going to love forever, he means it. And he keeps it. You are loved. 1 John 4, 7 and 8. Love is from God, for God is love. 1 John 4, 19. We love because he first loved us. Galatians 2, 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We are loved. Megan referenced in her Tuesday talk video that she did last week, Romans 8, verses 38 and 9, say, For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We're loved. 1 John 5, 19, Jesus told his disciples, As the Father has loved me, so I also have loved you. Abide in my love. In Christ I am forgiven, and in Christ I am loved. Thirdly, in Christ I have new life. New life. You know, baby skin smells different than people. Babies have some unique smells, right? But when they're all nice and clean, their skin smells different than adult skin. It's, it, there's a newness to it. You, you can tell the difference, man. You walk into a shoe store, and they can have hundreds of pairs of shoes, and it still, still smells nice. You go into the boys' locker room, and there's less shoes, but it doesn't smell very good. And then God gives us new life in Christ. And I want you to see on the screen, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and we're going to read first verses 9 and 10, and then we're going to read verse 11. And I separated verse 11 because I want you to see something significant, okay? Paul's writing to the believers in Corinth, and he says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous. Now, you might not fit into those other categories, and I hope you don't, but nor covetous, that we've all wanted something we didn't have, nor drunkards, some of us used to live there, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. You know what? You can find you in some place in those two verses. Yeah. Now, some of us can find ourselves listed a couple of times in that list. And it says, if you've done that, you can't get into heaven. Now, if the Bible stopped right there, it'd be really disappointing and, and we'd be discouraged, we'd be depressed, but the Holy Spirit allowed more than this to be preserved for us today. Verse 11, and I've highlighted the beginning of this, and such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Such were some of you, where you were, who we were before Christ. That's where we used to live. That's what we used to do. But such were some of you. That's a, a great hope. You know, there were deacons in the church there in Corinth 
who used to be drunkards. There were faithful women teaching and serving and helping who used to have uh, other problems. There were people who used to be covetous. There were people who used to be thieves. There were people who used to be revilers and extortioners and idolaters and fornicators and adulterers and even homosexuals, and they used to be there, and they used to do that. Now, in our culture, we have two extremes within the church. Both extremes are evil when it comes to homosexuality. The one extreme says God hates homosexuals. That's not true. God loved them and set Christ to pay the penalty for their sin and wants them to trust and follow Christ. The other extreme said God doesn't care. As long as you're faithful in whoever you love, it doesn't matter. There's churches that openly accept homosexuality when the Bible says it's wrong. Both of those extremes are wrong. The truth is, God loves you no matter what your sin. But he doesn't want you to stay there. What he wants is to be able to say about you, such were some of you. God's okay with the fact, he hated it when I was doing it, but when I was a, a drunk in high school as a teenager, God hated that what I was doing, I was hurting my body, I was hurting my family, and, and God's thrilled that it's in the past that is part of that such were some of you. But if I had that problem today, God wouldn't allow me to serve as a pastor. I wouldn't be happily married. I probably wouldn't be alive if Christ hadn't changed my life as a teenager. So if you're struggling with the sin, you know what? God loves you, even though you're struggling with that sin. But he wants you to move that sin into the such were category in the past and get beyond it. Because he loves you enough, he doesn't want to leave you there. We are loved, and we have new life in Christ. Mark your spot here in Ephesians 2. We're going to come right back, and then turn to Colossians 3. Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. So it's just a few pages further in your Bible. Colossians chapter 3. We're going to read a couple of verses there. Colossians chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind, your affection, your desires on things above, not on things on the earth. For you die, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Set your affection, your desires on things above. Now turn back to Ephesians 2. We'll read there again in just a moment. And 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. You have new life in Christ. You actually have the capacity to overcome your sin. You have the capacity to do the right thing. You have the capacity to live in an honorable way once you are in Christ. 
The Holy Spirit lives within you and gives you that capacity and guides and helps you in your life. So in Christ, my identity in Christ, I am forgiven, I am loved, and I have a new life. But wait, there's more. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 6, he says, and raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. In Christ, I have a home in heaven. In Christ, I have a home in heaven. Now, I don't know if you've ever been on trips, but uh, sometimes you go on trips and you take part of the trip and then more of the trip and then more of the trip. And uh, years ago, we used to have a regular ministry in Cuba and I would fly there every year and I would teach in a pastor's conference and, and then I would preach in churches uh, uh, around the western part of Cuba. I've, I don't know how many churches I preached in, several dozen of them over a 12-year period. And sometimes I'd preach in two churches or three churches in the same day or the same night. And uh, one day I spoke in the conference multiple times in the morning, multiple times in the afternoon and preached in a couple of churches at night. It was seven messages in one day. Don't think I could handle that schedule right now, but I could when I was younger. And Kathy went with me uh, twice into Cuba, and the first time we went, Kathy does not particularly enjoy flying. Now, she had no problem flying to meet her new grandson, because there was high motivation there. But she was also okay flying to teach the Bible to the ladies in Cuba. But it was unpleasant. And so she had to make three airplane flights just to get to where we could then fly into Cuba. So we flew from here to Houston, and from Houston to Miami, and from Miami to Nassau, and then the next day we flew from Nassau to Cuba. And that plane was scary. It was an old yeah. Russian plane. It actually had, um, not air conditioning, swamp cooling in the plane. So it looked like smoke was coming out of the plane. I forgot to warn her. She's sitting on the plane. The stuff starts coming out, and she's like. <laughs> she also isn't very fond of boats. And when we got to Nassau, I had booked a place that was a bed and breakfast at Pete and Annette Rice, and Kathy and I went, and we stayed in this place, and they had to pick us up in this little boat, and they piled all, this, all of us and all of our luggage into this little boat, and we had about this much clearance above the water line, and then he takes off, going fast, getting us around to it. And she was not particularly thrilled with those accommodations. And then we had to take the boat back to fly out the next day. And, and then we got into Cuba. So sometimes in our journey, we have multiple stops, right? We, you fly from one place to another, then another. If you're on a road trip, you don't get in the car and drive 3,000 miles or 5,000 miles all in one shot. You drive several hundred, you stop, you eat, you gas up, you drive a couple hundred more, you, you break it up. And that's the way we need to view life. Where I live, I have a house here in Casa Grande. Kathy and I call it our home. It's our temporary home. We're not home yet. There's a story told when uh, 
President Theodore Roosevelt came back from his African safari and he was heralded as a hero and, and the boat came in and there were bands playing and people giving speeches and he was welcomed and hundreds cheered him and there was a missionary couple on the same ship. And the husband said to the wife, there's no one here to welcome us. They come back from years and years of faithful service. He said, there's no one here to welcome us, no one here to cheer us. And his wife patted his hand and said, it's okay. We're not home yet. Well, when you get home, there'll be rewards. When you get home, there'll be celebration. When you get home, you might hear Jesus say, well done, good and faithful servant. We have a home in heaven. John 14 says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions, many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. When I was a kid, my dad was in the service, we moved a lot. And what happened is dad would fly ahead and he would check into his new duty station and he would find the place for us to live and he would prepare a home for us and then we would all move there. A couple of times my mom loved the choice he made. A couple of times mom wasn't so thrilled. But when you get to heaven, you're gonna be thrilled. Because what Jesus is preparing for you is better than anything you've ever experienced here on earth. You have a new home in heaven. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. We have a home in heaven. So in Christ, you are forgiven, you are loved, you have new life and a home in heaven. In Christ, I also have an awesome future. Ephesians 2 and verse 7, he says that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. I'm not a collector. I do have some old Bibles, a little bit of a collection of old Bibles. Some of them are from the early 1800s. I actually have a Bible that my grandmother's grandfather carried in his saddlebags as a chaplain in the Civil War. And so that's cool to have some old Bibles like that. But the only other thing I collect is wrinkles. <laughs> I, I don't collect things because as soon as people find out you collect things, they buy you more. And pretty soon your collection morphs. My grandma decided she would collect owls when she was about 30. By the time she was 70, she had thousands of owls in their house. She had shelving put in in the rooms up near the ceiling and then another row and just filled with owl figurines. And so one day in her 70s, she said, you know what, I'm tired of collecting owls. I'm getting rid of all my owls. Now I'm gonna collect frogs. <laughs> By the time she was 90, guess how many frogs she had? Her house was full of them. So I don't collect anything. If you collect things, that's fine. I don't. I'm not gonna add to your collection either. But, but listen. Christ has awesome stuff for us. Now, I know some guys that have collected cars. And they have some classic cars. I like to go to see car collections. 
good one to own one, I like to go see them. And when you're with a guy who's a car guy, who collects classic cars, you can't just look at it. You've got to walk around it. You've got to look under the hood. You've got to look underneath. You've got to step front and back and look all around the car. He's showing all this cool stuff about his cool car. Imagine what Jesus is going to do. He's going to blow you away with all the good stuff that he has. He's going to keep amazing us for all eternity because he's beyond our finite minds to comprehend. And even when we're in heaven and we are known even as we know, even as we are known, that we're still not going to know everything about God because he's beyond our capacity to fully comprehend. But he's going to keep showing us. He raised us up and he's going to show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ. Uh, I have an awesome future. So mark your spot here. If you can, turn to Revelation chapter 21. In Revelation chapter 21, he gives us a little vignette, a little picture of what life will be like when we're with heaven. I was listening to an audio book, and he said, Heaven is a, a place that stirs our imagination, but it's not imaginary, it's real. Listen to what he says in Revelation 21. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were, had passed away, also there was no more sea. Earth is 75% water on the surface. What will it be like when there's no more sea? We don't know what it'll be like. We just know that's what God said it'll be like. And then I saw, I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And verse 3, And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. And God himself will dwell with, be with them and dwell with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Turn back to Ephesians chapter 2. What a picture of this amazing, awesome future that we're going to have with God. No more pain. No more sorrow. No more death. And I've seen a lot of death. I've seen more than enough. I'm ready for the Lord to take us up right now, all of us to be with him. That'd be awesome. It will be awesome when he does it. In Christ, I am forgiven, I am loved, I have new life. In Christ, I have a new home in heaven, and I have an awesome future. We can't even imagine how great it will be when we're with Jesus. But he adds to that in verse 10, In Christ, I have skills and abilities to make a difference in this world. Skills and abilities to make a difference in this world. In verse 10, he says, 
We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, everybody who's ever served in ministry, served as a Sunday school teacher, an Awana helper, an Awana teacher, a game person in Awana who's helped serve in a fellowship, an association, everybody who's ever served in any capacity in the church has always had the first time. The first time they did it. There was a first time that I preached. Thousands of times ago. There was a first time. There was a first time our Sunday school teachers taught their class. There was a first time that somebody stepped up and served. There was a first time that you helped, that you served, that you made a difference. Now, some of you were raised in church and you started serving the Lord at a very young age and praise the Lord that you have that history in your family. But we all have the capacity to make a difference. God has designed you and equipped you with skills and abilities to help other people. See, getting saved, knowing Christ is your Savior, is a personal thing. You don't get to heaven because your parents were believers. You don't get to heaven because you're married to a believer. You don't get to heaven because your kids are believers. You get to heaven because you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. That's a personal thing. You and God. But once you receive that, God then wants you to take that gift that you have received and help other people and minister to other people and help other people. He has equipped you so you can make a difference in the world. When I was a teenager and was a brand new Christian and was still struggling a little with alcohol, one of my closest friends was a 75-year-old man in our church who took me under his wing. He taught me how to read and study the Bible. He taught me how to visit and talk to people about Jesus Christ. I believe that I became a pastor directly because of the influence of Wallace Holsinger, a deacon in our church who loved God and loved me and made a difference in my life. We have some terrific Bible school teachers here at Victory, but there was a day in their past when they had never taught a class. They probably felt nervous that first time. Now I feel a little bit nervous every time, not because you're trying to please the kids or the class or the adults or the congregation, but because you want to make sure you please Christ. So a little bit of nerve, but you want to make sure you please Christ. That's okay. But you can share your heart, your skills, your abilities with people. You can bless and enrich their lives. We were sharing testimonies earlier, and Jerry stood up and said, our church family has blessed me richly. And we should have that attitude. We should feel blessed, and we should be a blessing. Now, it doesn't mean you need to turn to your neighbor and say, the Bible says you should bless me. <laughs> no. What it means is you should look at the people around you and ask yourself, how have I blessed them? What can I do to bless them? He, he has equipped you. We are his workmanship, his poetry, his masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Christ didn't just say, hey man, I love you so much, I want to see you in heaven. He said, I love you so much, I want to see you in heaven, and I want to see you serve me on earth. 
I want the change that I make on the inside of you to flow out through your arms and legs and your mouth and let you minister to other people here on planet Earth. You are forgiven. You are loved. You have a new home in heaven, an awesome future, and you have skills and abilities to make a difference in the lives of other people right here in this world. You see, in Christ, I find my true identity. In Christ, I find my true identity. In, even when we were dead in trespasses, Ephesians 2.5 says, by, he says that by grace you have been saved. Even when we were dead in trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. You were dead. You are alive. You find your identity in Christ. It impacts how you live now and in the future of your life on earth. And boy, does it impact the future of your life beyond this earth. We are alive together with Christ forever. Years ago, I was dropping my kids off at school. It's been a while since I've had to do that. I, I pulled up to middle school and I was going to drop off a couple and then go on to the high school and drop off a couple more. And as I pulled up to the school, I was giving my kids this spiel. You know, you are a blood-bought child of God. You have been called by God and equipped by God to wage war in enemy territory. You are empowered by the Holy Spirit. You have the authority of Jesus Christ to go forth and represent him in this godless culture. And I was being a little loud. And I think it was Megan who said, Dad, the windows are open. <laughs> As we're pulling up in the drop-off line at the school. I said, oops, sorry. Have a nice day. <laughs> but the truth is, you are a blood-bought child of God. You are equipped to wage war in enemy territory. You have the capacity and the authority to represent Jesus Christ on earth. And you don't need to be coddled. You don't need to be pampered. You need to step up and serve and minister and make a difference in the lives of people. Other people need to be blessed by the skills and abilities that you bring. We'll be talking about that a little more in our 5 o'clock service today. I hope you can join us for that. But in Scripture... Those who love and follow Jesus Christ are called his family, his bride, his body, his chosen ones, his servants, his ambassadors, his anointed, the apple of his eye. You are given his authority and his power to be the light in the world, to be saints, to be faithful, to grow and mature as we love and serve the Lord Jesus Christ together. In Christ, you are forgiven. His mercy is more. In Christ, you are loved. And how long does that love last? Everlasting love. In Christ, you have a new life, a new home, an awesome future. In Christ, you have skills and abilities to make a difference in the lives of other people on planet Earth. And in Christ, you find your true identity. So two questions for you. First, are you in Christ? Have you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior? Are you in Christ? Secondly, for those of you who are in Christ, 
Do you find your identity in him? Or are you looking for your identity in some other person, place, or thing here on earth? Do we define our identity in Christ? If you're here this morning and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, when we dismiss and we have our closing prayer and people head out the door, don't leave. Stay and talk to somebody. Go up to anybody and ask, tell them, I want to know about Jesus. If they don't know how to help you find in Scripture how to trust Christ as your Savior, they'll find somebody else who can. Don't leave. Trust Christ today. And if you have trusted Christ, do you find your identity in Him? If you're not, why don't you correct it? Reread this passage of Ephesians 2 this afternoon and say, God, I really want this to be the core of my life. I want Christ to be first. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your amazing love, your mercy, your grace. We thank you for your hand upon us. We thank you for your guidance in our lives. We thank you for your protection, not just from the evils of other people, but even from the evils of our own heart. We thank you for the fact that you have made us new in Christ. We pray that we would live in a way that would please and honor you. Thank you for the encouragement we have from Scripture, the truth we have from Scripture, that we can know how to love, follow, and serve you. May you be honored and glorified by the decisions that we make, by the lives that we live, on this day, in this place, in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the Victory Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. If you'd like to know more about Victory, please visit our website at victoryarizona.org. You can also connect with us on our Facebook page or by emailing victory at victoryarizona.org. We'd love to help you accept and follow Jesus Christ.